Thank you for joining us here on CanadianMarketWatch.com where myself, Jim Chuck, and George Sander. Talk to people in the industry. Find out what they have to say. We'll ask the tough questions. We'll ask lots of questions. If you want to join us here on Canadian Market Watch, reach out to us and be a guest on CanadianMarketWatch.com. Join the discussion. Well, here we are again today, George. We are um, doing our second individual podcast on CanadianMarketWatch.com. Um, we're looking for guests as well to join us here in, in the discussion. But we're also going to do some discussions ourselves and just to see see how things are going. Because we've never been in a spot like this before with um, the amount of stimulus that's being poured into the market. And then I don't think a lot of people are sure what to do. They're just trying some stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that we're in uh, uncertain times is is a is an understatement. Uh, that we have never been here before uh, is is also uh, an understatement. We were we global finance and and economic matters were in a somewhat similar time in 2008 and 2009. But what we did not have at that point is the complete shutdown of commerce as a result of the virus um, that has overlapped or occurred at the same time as, uh, as these other economic and financial issues. So it, it, it really is, um, I think we have to admit, life-changing. I don't want to be uh, dramatic or sensational, but I, I don't think uh, anybody has been any idea where we're going down this road, uh, including senior political leadership, good or bad, uh, across the world. Um, everybody is sort of flying by the seat of their pants. Having said that, um, the virus will eventually run its course. I think we know that from the nature of it and, and the science. Uh, whether that's three weeks, six weeks, or six months, we don't know that, but eventually people will be back on the street. Uh, back to Some of them will be back to work. But we will not go back to the life we knew uh, in February uh, here in North America. It will be uh, particularly um, a, a different setting. Um, you mentioned the amount of stimulus. So much money uh, by central, central banks and by governments uh, across the world means that the government can never ba- governments can never balance their books in most people's lifetime. So we have to think through the full implications of that. Um, central banks have created so much new money, uh, liquidity, we call it, uh, so much new money that we have to wonder about the future purchasing power of all currencies one year, two years, three years down the road. Um, and, and particularly for, you know, Jim, our, our local discussions and, and the two of us and many people that we know on the uh, 
business end uh, for those of us that aren't big enough to get bailed out and those of us who, you know, don't have uh, 10 or 20 billion in, in global sales, uh, small businesses like micro small businesses, regular small businesses, even intermediate sized businesses, many of those, if this goes on for long enough, are not going to come back. They're going to they're going to disappear. Um, others are going to have going to come back to a changed reality. And so, our lives have changed, um, and they're not going to go back to how things were this time last year. That doesn't mean that's gloom and doom or disaster. And I, I think as we were talking before we turned the microphone on, I think actually this is a great time, as, as scary or as uncertain as it may be, this is a great time, a great opportunity to talk about new ideas. And, you know, what I thought we could do today is, uh, I know you've got uh, a lot of thoughts on, you know, how stimulus might be redirected or reapplied, and, and uh, I have a couple thoughts on that. But more from the point of view of, uh, maybe stimulating in ideas for anybody listening to this podcast, either now or, or down the road, um, and, and also putting out there, at this stage of the game where we are, there's no bad ideas, you know? Yeah. Lots of ideas eventually might be bad. Um, you know, I do a personal exercise every once in a while, and... I'll take uh, a two-week period, maybe every six months or so, a two-week period, and I give myself 15 or 20 minutes uh, every day for, for, for the working day, so for 10 days. And I just sit quietly, turn off all my stimulus, uh, and, and think about ideas. And, and my rule is whatever comes in my head, I write it down on a piece of paper, and I don't allow myself to think why that's a stupid thought, what won't work about it, why it's impossible to implement. I just get the idea out there. And so, uh, Jim, you and I are no smarter than anybody else. We're 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 no we're just we're just guys out in the real world trying to make make do. But if all of us that are in that position um, start thinking creatively, I think the power of that, especially leveraging social media, um, can be quite incredible. And, and I would just suggest to anybody listening to this, uh, when you hear ideas, before condemning them as stupid or unrealistic or, you know, think them through. And maybe in the process of thinking them through, you might come up with something even more amazing. So that's what I think. That's kind of what I'm excited to talk about today. So, yeah, so I have a kind of a philosophy that, that we kind of use here at work is that there is no bad idea, just better ideas. So take exactly. an idea and just kind of, and then springboard off that idea and another idea and another idea, and that's how we grow great things. And we've done lots of great things like that. So we really want to say let's open open the floor, open the, the, the minds of all the people out there and say what are the ideas? How do we get through this? And if we allow... If the government allows the business community to participate, I'm sure that we'll be in a better spot. If they allow us to kind of like voice our concerns and voice our ideas, 
I think we'll be way better off um, instead of being told what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. So I guess it's up to us to make sure our ideas get heard and so to encourage other people very, very to share. Much it's, very much it's up to us. And, and you know, uh, the, the, I think why exercises like this are very important is that, as you said at the outset, these are uncharted waters. Nobody's been here, including the political leadership, including uh, senior business spokesmen and leadership, in, in, including the corporate world, uh, including all the senior, um, uh, you know, deputy ministers and assistant deputy ministers and all the, poli- all the uh, policymakers, all the people in academia. Just like us, nobody's been down this road before. So they certainly don't have a monopoly on good policy or system ideas. You know, in, in our own country, our, our number one leader is a um, second-generation trust fund kid who, you know, no, no, no insult to um, part-time uh, substitute teachers, um, but he wasn't even teaching academia. He's never had a real job in his life. And most of the people... In, in the White House at 10 Downing Street, in, the, in, in Brussels, in Ottawa, uh, most of the people around the political leadership uh, are all career political operatives. They're uh, big corporate guys. They're big law firm guys. Uh, they're senior bureaucrat, lifetime bureaucrats. And with the odd exception, but for the most part, They've never been all in. They've never mortgaged the house, second mortgaged the house, maxed out the credit cards to make a business go and been in a position for maybe years to not take any money out of that business because they needed to make payroll every two weeks. So, but that's our experience, right? That's your experience. And that's the experience of many of the people that are going to be listening to this and, and, and people in our network. And so, uh, so I think it's important from that bottom up. And, and if out of these kinds of discussions, hopefully that are happening all over the world, um, ideas that are too good to ignore will, will emerge. And the business community, the finance community, will be able to reshape and rebuild itself. We keep hearing every everything we hear, we hear record stimulus, record disaster, record this, record that. It and it's it's all records and 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 uh, we don't know the result of all this stimulus and stuff. Like I mean, if if stimulus to this extent works, then why would we ever need taxation again? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like why would we just keep printing money because there's obviously a consequence to what we're doing. At some point, otherwise, then we should we should just forego taxation completely. And yeah. uh, I, I doubt if they'll do that. But you know what I mean. Like it, if if it's an endless supply of money, then taxation becomes a mute point. One of the uh, one of the things that I can see as a possibility two years out, because of these and 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 for the for the rest of two thousand twenty tax revenue to the government will have cratered on the one side, on the revenue side, on the expense side, uh, the health care costs, the, 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 the cost of, of 
shall we call it, social maintenance, uh, uh, social welfare, uh, safety net, uh, plus the so-called stimulus, you've got a double whammy. You've got expenses increasing exponentially and revenues collapsing. And, and that, of course, is not sustainable. So one of the things I see out there in the future um, is the possibility, uh, especially in governments that have a particular ideology uh, coming to power in the next couple of years and trying to blame this on anybody in business and us arriving at a very punitive um, business and even personal income uh, tax, uh, new tax regime. So I, I, that's a concern I have. I'm not saying that's ha- going to happen. I'm not predicting it, but I'm just sort of looking at at declining revenue and exponentially expanding uh, expanding expenses and going, wow, how does you know how does that get reconciled two or three years from now? And as you say, maybe we go to a completely different model and we don't <laughs> tax anybody and we just print pieces of paper. I want to go back to leadership because one of the things both you and I have coached for a number of years, coached um, kids, and and lots of times in challenging times when you're on a team or anything, a, a real leader shows up, like the real captain shows up, not the one that they hung the sea on. And I think that's what, what we're looking for even out here right now. So there's an opportunity for real leadership to show up. I know there's people that are designated leaders, but I think it's going to get really messy. And I think... Lots of times out of frustration, leaders show up. Do you know what I mean? Because they, they, they look and they watch and they go, oh, my God, I have to do something now. And I, hopefully somebody's out there looking and saying, okay, so now I need to step up. Because there's a lot of people that are running companies, like big CEOs and stuff like that, that are running these billion-dollar corporations that could probably do a better job at the helm right now. Yeah, yeah. One, one, of, our, one of the problems, and it's, it's not to... It's not to point a finger at any individual whatsoever or any ideology, but part of the problem is in, in Western democracies is the mandate of your government is four years or five years, and so a government takes, uh, at the political leadership level, it takes a year to learn the system, uh, about two and a half years or two two years to govern, and your last year you're back into re-election mode. I and, think nowadays they're always in re-election mode. And, and exactly, and so so the thing about this non-political leader emerging, or the, you know the kid on the team when 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 you're down, you know down in a game with five minutes left, some some kid emerges. Uh, that, uh, uh, you know, there's opening for that, like you say. And, and I think that, I think that, you know, not just out of the corporate community, but particularly out of the entrepreneurial community. And, and I know from some of the things that, that Kelowna now is doing, um, that's not a hundred percent business oriented. You know, you're not just looking for creative ideas to make a profit. You're looking to have, you know, genuine service to the community. And, and so 
when I'm talking entrepreneurs, I'm not talking about, oh, let's, you know, let's go to the store and buy a whole bunch of, of, of uh, toilet paper and sanitizers and then resell it at a profit on eBay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, the entrepreneurial mentality, uh, which is easily transferred from business uh, to what we call social entrepreneurship. And I think that's equally important right now. I do too. Um, one of the things that, and I, and I say, I don't say this lightly, but, um, I'm not really like, like on, on the leadership that's here in place. I believe that they're focused on one of the balls, but there's other stuff happening that is probably causing just as much issue in Canada right now. That'll have long lasting effects that if we don't focus a little bit of attention on that, by the time we get through this crisis, we won't be able to deal with that crisis, and that's the oil price. Alberta oil is, what did you say last week, $6? It's it's under $6. Uh, uh, Western Canadian Select is under $6 U.S. So we used an analogy last time we talked about, you know, Starbucks drinks are, you know, more expensive, and then uh, I was was at the takeout drive-thru, and... uh, Bought lunch for um, a couple of people and it was uh, fifty bucks because you don't get much for fifty bucks. But that's like almost like eight nine barrels of oil, and yep. uh, and I think the cost to produce. I've talked to a friend of mine that says you know their cost is around twelve dollars a barrel, twelve to fifteen I think. So obviously that's not going to last very long. You're not going to continue to produce oil at a loss. So one of the things I think if there was leadership, they would put a floor into the price and they basically forward buy the oil and say, we'll, we'll guarantee $30 a barrel. And uh, that would allow the producers to continue producing, not shut in their wells or shut in projects like Tech did in Fort Mac. Fort Mac. And then in the future, when oil goes back to 100, which it likely will, because it has several times, um, we'll make a profit off of it. Well, an interesting, an interesting thing about that idea is rather than just being a handout, an idea like that can be structured like a business deal. And so, you know, the taxpayer is paying for all this stimulus that's just getting thrown out there regardless. So your idea or your thought is, you know, maybe there's a way to put a floor under the price of oil that actually will return money to the state down the road for doing that. And I don't know the mechanics of that. I don't know if you fully thought through them your own self. But again, uh, going back to what we said at the, at the beginning of the discussion, that's not the point right now. The point right now is to just just sort of throw these thoughts out there and uh, you know if you're if you're going to be bailing out using that term loosely uh, the province of Alberta because of the extreme hardship from uh, the low prices uh, here's a, here's a way here's a different way that you do it and it's a way that would continue to allow the the good income, uh, jobs that have existed in the province to continue to exist. You could call it the Canada Energy Plan, and you could take that that thirty dollars, and even if they don't pump it out, just leave it in the ground, and just so they don't shut in the wells, 
And then when the price of oil goes back up to $100 a barrel and there's $70 a barrel there, let's invest that into green technology. So 100%. That, do you know what I mean? So, so now we, we build another industry off the other industry. Yeah. And, and um, we're, not, we're not predicting the price of future price of anything, but at some point on the other side of this uh, scenario that we're in right now, there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand. I mean, the entire supply chain of the world has been shut down. Uh, just before, uh, just before we, we started the podcast, um, I was looking at a, at a piece on uh, uh, what the, uh, I think it was the British Columbia government, deems an essential service. And my own part of the mining business, exploration, is deemed as essential, um, and the minerals are even identified. Copper, nickel, and gold are identified in that definition of mines are considered essential services because, you, you know, every, everything we use in the world uh, involves copper and nickel, for sure, and, and zinc, uh, zinc as well. And so... Uh, um, and and uh, got a little lost in 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 the in my details there, but uh, but these these when these things are down, uh, if a mine is shut down or a copper mine, particularly copper uh, production, is shut down and it's down for six months because they put it on care and maintenance so they could send their workers home, and that's happened particularly in Peru. Uh, when that happens and things come out the other end, you don't just flip a switch and all of a sudden that production is right back to the levels that it was when you shut down. It takes, uh, for a big operation like that, it takes a long time to ramp up. And it's the same with, uh, it's the same with oil production that's been curtailed. And that's the, and, and and two steps in there too because there's either like care and maintenance or like lower production or three actually lower production care and maintenance and a complete shut-in and if if they completely shut in oil like it'll be five six years before they look at it again absolutely absolutely because they're not going to come back and when saudis and and the russians have us at their mercy i can tell you that the price of oil is not going to stay at six bucks a barrel exactly and and the 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 supply shock that we're experiencing right now uh, is also a radical uh, decrease in demand because there's no commerce. Everybody's at home. Nobody's mm-hmm. doing anything. But when commerce starts again, there's going to be all that pent-up demand. And so whether it's $100 or not, who knows, but oil is going to have a huge demand. Copper's going to have a huge demand. Nickel's going to have a huge demand. Uh, all raw materials, uh, sand, uh, is going to have a huge demand mm-hmm. as, as we start to, to rebuild. And, and particularly if, if we move along the stimulus by um, investing in infrastructure. Yeah, I think there's like, I don't, well, I don't think we've ever had a supply and demand shock at the same time that I can remember. Like yep. when the whole world has come grinding to a halt, we've seen supply shocks several times the gas shortages and and stuff like that but 
to have both simultaneously and then the amount of stimulus that's being poured in the economy. I think once they lift it, there will be a huge kind of push for for supply, like people are going to want to spend. But I yep. think that'll be a short-lived kind of shock as people realize, you know, that the money supply may not be available to everybody. There'll be, a, you know, like probably a lot of unemployment for a bit. And uh, to see if some companies can ramp back up. I think travel in the world will be kind of tough for the next little while. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's not going to be easy. And again, if we allow Alberta oil to to go by the wayside during this without any attention at all, I think well, Canada will suffer dramatically, um, as will U.S. shale oil. And um, there's there's no doubt about that. No doubt. So I'm just saying they they need to have somebody with their eye on that as well, because you can't like I mean when you're running a country, you got a lot of pots on the stove, so. I get that one's boiling, but uh, there's a couple other that are probably ready to, to blow up. Yep. And um, so it would be great if, if you have ideas and you want to send them in, we'll talk about them. If you want to be on the show, let's talk. Let's get on here and let's discuss some of the ideas. We do want to get somebody on from oil and gas so they can kind of tell us where their heads are at right now. I know there's a big, um, I've seen it on Bloomberg this morning, that a big oil and gas company in the in the U.S. tried to refinance and it wasn't available to them, so they're likely going to go under because they just can't access the capital. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we, we have um, just a, a, a quick uh, throwing out ideas, a, a quick thought. We, we have had in Canada uh, since the early 1980s um, a mechanism in our tax code where the deductions that a resource company has for exploration. And these are oil and gas companies and mining companies. So they're allowed to deduct from their taxable income the amount of money they spend looking for new resources and reserves. And that's that's obviously, that's a sensible thing and that, that mechanism has been there forever. In the early 80s, we allowed companies to renounce that deduction and pass it on to investors. So those are, those are called in your, in your tax form, Canadian Exploration Expenditures, and they've been typically most used in what's called a flow-through share, and they've been typically used by uh, junior exploration companies in the oil and gas patch and in the minerals patch who don't have any revenue anyway. So they don't have any reason to retain that tax write-off because there's nothing to write off. So they renounce those deductions in favor of the investor uh, 100%. So that mechanism in Canada has existed for decades it's been responsible for many, many new discoveries of oil and gas production and of mineral production, and, and that's well documented. Um, and, and so the infrastructure for dealing with that is well established. Uh, all accounting firms know about it. The tax code addresses it. Uh, the government knows how to deal with it, how to process it, how to administer it. It's, it's, it's in place. It's not a new policy that would need to be invented. And so I'm thinking at a time like this, let's extend that to 
to technology. Let's extend that to renewable energy. Uh, let's extend that uh, to biotech, uh, to software, to artificial intelligence. Uh, we could even find a way to extend that uh, or, or modify it slightly to make it apply to uh, infrastructure construction. And, and that is an immediate out-of-pocket no expense to the government or very little expense. It's funding supplied I, by the general public. Through. Yeah, we've, 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 we already have the, the, the codes and everything, the administrative part of it, which always costs a lot of money to set up. That's already in place. So uh, we're modifying it a little bit, so there's a very small cost there, but, but pretty easy. And and, you know, you could extend it to um, agricultural research, you know, how to get better yields for, for our farmers and, and, and different crops, replanting different crops. So there's a myriad of places where this could be applied. It's not an upfront cost. Yes, there's the revenue hit that you're not getting the tax from uh, the orthodontist and the orthopedic specialist who are typical investors in these kinds of tax shelters. Yeah, it's reducing the amount of income tax that those folks are going to pay, but just take it on, uh, just use $100,000. So uh, uh, one um, high-end professional or two or three, they invest $100,000, that's tax the government doesn't get. But soon as the business enterprise receives that $100,000, that starts to circulate around. And there's a couple things that every time that money moves, there's 5% GST on it. Every time it moves. And there's payroll taxes because they were most, payroll of it's, taxes. most of it's used there's, for payroll. There, there's people that are working. And when you have people that are working, not only does the government get their tax, but every time they go out and spend money, there's a there's the GST. Like it's, it's that value-added tax is actually quite brilliant. Um and the multiplier of it, I, I don't know. I don't have the economic model to know what the multiplier is. It's usually a ten, but but it, but it's 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 phenomenal. So over the course of time, that not only is revenue uh, neutral, it's it's probably revenue positive. And what it does is it stimulates at that startup level. It stimulates investment and it stimulates. Um, uh, activities, new ideas, and we saw once we saw this happen in the cannabis state, uh, the cannabis sector. Um, once it was clear we were going to decriminalize cannabis, uh, the sector exploded, and most of the entrepreneurs that came into that sector ended up doing it through startup publicly listed, uh, publicly traded companies on the Toronto uh, Venture Exchange and on the CSE, the Canadian Securities Exchange. So, and you don't need to be a public company to issue flow-through sh uh, flow shares, uh, but the point, the point is that infrastructure for startup businesses has existed in Canada uh, going back to the early 1900s and even earlier. So it's long established. We have uh, 
a regulatory infrastructure, we have a legal and accounting infrastructure, and we have the finance and entrepreneurial infrastructure to make that stuff work. So that's just an idea. Any uh, any finance bureaucrats that happen to uh, to tune into this, um, be happy to discuss it with you further. I think we do have a great mechanism in place that's kind of been not used for the last OL, well, the TSX and 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 the CSE and the other one, the TSX Venture. Um, that they, if they loosen some of the regulation in there and um, allow us, Alberta had a great program a while back, uh, Alberta Investment Tax Credit. So allowing even anybody to invest in a lot of companies, get money back into the into businesses and, and allow businesses to kind of expand. And because uh, most of that, when that money goes into a company through flow through or whatever, it's about creation of wealth as opposed to transfer of wealth, like what we're seeing right now lots of times in the um the big banking stuff, it's a lot of transfer of wealth. Because there's been a lot of wealth transferred in the last uh, couple of weeks. Because somebody's making money in the, on the up or the down, and um, there's no wealth being created there. It's just a transfer of wealth. It's a tra- that, that's, that's exactly right. And, and so how you just put that is, is really, really quite articulate, quite brilliant. Uh, instead of just transferring the wealth, we're actually putting some money into a place where wealth can be created now is every idea going to work out of course not is there a little bit more risk in this of course there is but frankly if anybody's paid attention to the bond market lately there's all sorts of risk there too Um, and so there's no risk-free place for your money uh, anymore uh, including the banks so uh, so it's a little risky, you know. You don't have to. You don't have to invest your your entire life savings in it. And you know, another thing that's more a societal and and media kind of thing. We have to get over this this um, uh, criticism that every time there's a new idea and somebody makes a lot of money off it, that somehow those people were cheating or they were ripping everybody off or they're greedy or you know, we got to get over that idea. You know, it, it it it's okay if we have a new program and someone ends up making more money than somebody else. You know, so be it. If if uh, uh, if the common good is is served through this, uh, that's the main thing. Well, let's let's use a couple of examples in Canada from the past. Um, that um, Voise Bay, prior to the discovery. It was just a rock. I mean, it was land that people stood on. But I mean, in the Boise, middle of nowhere, you couldn't even get there. But the amount of wealth created by Boise Bay is 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 huge. I don't know the number and the billions of dollars that it created. Um, it made a lot of people wealthy, a lot of investors wealthy. And then we can even use a local example with Chuck Fipke and and um, Diamet. What was that thing worth at the end of the day? I mean, it was a diamonds out of out of northwest territories it was a well it's it's still a producing mine right yeah so i'm that's all creation of wealth and then there's tons of of gold mines in in canada well you know quite near to us in Kelowna, uh just down the road in princeton is the copper mountain mine Mm -hmm. now that's not a great mine as mines go but it's a substantial operation uh, I believe there's around 300 people that are employed there. They're not making minimum wage, I can tell you that right now. 
and that mine is good. You know, it's been going for well over a decade. And, and, and by the way, uh, that mine was going during the Depression or before the Depression. Um, my, my mother actually lived in a place called Copper Mountain when she was a little girl. That's, and, and I'm an old man, so that tells you how long they've been taking copper out of the ground at Princeton. And, uh, and, you know, if you were to take, if you were to shut that mine down and take it, you would destroy Princeton. Yeah, and there's Logan Lake, too. Yep. How long has that copper mine been going? Oh, Highland Valley's been going since the late 60s. Yeah, so there's, so that, that's the creation of wealth by putting money to work. Um, and that same goes for oil and gas, you know. Before that, there was a field, and they're taking some of the resources out of the ground, and, and that gives us, you know, tons of things that people don't even realize. It's not just gasoline, right? <laughs> All the plastic we use and everything, like plastic couches, plastic this, plastic that. Um, so and, and, you know, one of the issues that we have, and hopefully this crisis we're in can, can kind of shake us out of this polarization, or, or I call it the binary way of thinking, either your way or my way yes or no black or white and and honestly that's not real life so we say we say oh uh you know these hydrocarbons in canada this is bad we got to get rid of it we got to have renewable energy great absolutely that that's super uh renewable energy is not yet at the point where it's self-sustainable without anything else we're in a transition phase that transition phase is going to go on for decades and in spite of some of the more extreme climate change advocates saying the world's going to end in seven years that's actually not true um and so uh so while we're transitioning we need a strong and viable hydrocarbon industry to generate the tax revenue and the internal cash flow to fund these other ways of generating energy as the big energy companies transition from hydrocarbons to renewal. So it's not an either or at all. It's uh, we can do this together and this is part of uh, this is part of a natural process and evolution of business and uh let's get on with it and it happens everywhere and that's what people have to realize because that the canada energy plan we just kind of talked about could do that because you could take the spread between what we paid for it and, and the profits and then put that back into developing technologies but we've seen this shift happen in, in the industry i'm in, in in media where newspapers and and traditional media kind of were where all the money was being made and now that's being shifted to digital and, you know, and then a lot of those traditional medias have kind of shifted as well to digital. So it just takes time. There's a little bit of pain in there, but they are shifting as well. There's some doing really well at it right now. Absolutely. And Absolutely. the same goes for music. Like when music was, you had to buy records and you had to buy, you know, and then I think the Internet came along and the, all the artists thought they were going to lose money and never going to make money again because it was all given away free. It turns out at the end of the day, they've never done better because of the, the way that they put in like iTunes and all that stuff, people have access to way more songs and everybody's making way more money. Yeah. So it's just listening to the ideas and um, figuring out a better way to do things. So I think uh, th there's a really interesting thought from Jim and hopefully uh, uh, interesting uh, thought or idea from me. 
and and maybe we'll um, what do you think? Maybe we'll, we've been talking for 40 minutes here. Maybe we should wrap it up and just uh, but just invite anybody that's listening to this. Uh, there there is a a mechanism on um, uh, Canadian Market Watch to leave your thoughts. Um, would encourage anybody that is reading this stuff or listening to it or participating it at, or seeing it to not respond critically. Uh, we're not at that stage yet. We're simply at the what-if stage. Um, and with any idea or creative process, uh, you throw a bunch of stuff out there, you critique it later. And if something makes it through your first critique, uh, you critique it five or six more times. And if it stands up, then you've got something that's viable. But at this stage of the game, I would encourage everybody to uh, uh, contact us, put your ideas out there. Um, If we see something that really catches our imagination, we'll probably get in touch with you and maybe do a podcast with you. Yeah, you can find us on CanadianMarketWatch.com. We also have a Facebook page now, and you can find all the links on the bottom of CanadianMarketWatch.com. And we have Twitter and Instagram and uh, the podcast channel on SoundCloud. And I think we're going to move to another platform as well. So we'll be all over the place. So reach out, connect, share your ideas. And uh, if you want to be on the show, reach out as well. Um, You can find us. Like I said, everything you need to find out about us is on CanadianMarketWatch.com. And we are, uh, we are working this week on lining up a couple of new interviews for the next couple of podcasts. Awesome. Thanks, George. Until okay, next time. Okay, great, Jim. We'll end it there. And that has been another podcast on CanadianMarketWatch.com with myself, Jim Check, and George Sanders. Ask the questions. If you would like to join us here on CanadianMarketWatch.com, reach out to us, contact us, and let us know that you want to be on the show. We'd love to hear from you.